Happy Easter, everyone. Glad that you're here. Thanks for coming to join us on our Easter celebration. Today we're going to celebrate what Jesus did almost 2,000 years ago for us and what Jesus still does for us today. Later in the service, we are going to celebrate communion together. And then this afternoon, we are going to go to the ocean for a baptism. So at 5 p.m. this afternoon, we'll be at 16th Street North in Flagler Beach. So as you go down 100 here and hit A1A, take a left in 16th Streets North on the right-hand side, we will be baptizing those that have signed up today for that. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've not followed that up by being baptized, I encourage you to be baptized today. I can't think of a more significant day or a more symbolic day to be baptized than on Easter. And if you are interested in that, just come up after the service and talk to Tim. He'll be up in this area at the end of the service. Just talk to him about that and he'll let you know what you need to to do in order to be baptized today. Now let me give you a quick disclaimer as we begin today. I'm going to travel down what are going to feel like several loosely connected paths. And my prayer at the end of the service is that I bring them all back together and it makes sense. So if you will pray with me about that, that would be fantastic. So let's just pause for a a quick word of prayer and then we'll begin. Lord, I thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Lord, the reality that on Easter Sunday, thousands of years ago, Jesus, you could not be found in a tomb. That you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death so that we can live. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us about that today. Teach us in a whole new way what Easter really means. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we begin today, I need to tell you a story that started about 4,000 years ago. So it was about 2,000 years before Jesus showed up on the planet Earth, God made a promise to one man. That man was Abraham. God promised to make Abraham into a mighty nation. It was interesting, at that moment, Abraham and his wife didn't have any children. So it was one obstacle that needed to be addressed there. God also promised to bless those who bless his family and curse those who curse his family. It was a pretty nice promise there. Wouldn't you like to have that in your world? Third promise. God promised to bless the entire world through Abraham's children. God said to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my specially chosen people. And a few generations passed and Abraham passed away and his growing family became led by one of his grandsons named Jacob. And Jacob is also called in the Bible Israel. And that's where Israel gets their name from is, is Jacob's other name, Israel. Around the year 1885 BC, so before Christ, came to earth. The world uh, suffered a devastating famine. The the known world at that time went through a a horrible famine. What God did is he took Jacob and his family and he moved them to Egypt for protection. Fascinating story if you're familiar with that story of how God got um, Jacob's family to Egypt for that protection. But God not only protected um, Jacob's family in that moment, he protected much of the known world and he protected Egypt through that horrible 
famine. And the Pharaoh of Egypt recognized what God had done, recognized that God had protected them. And so he allowed Jacob's family to live in Egypt um, for years with special treatment. So while in Egypt, Israel's family began to grow. They grew so much that a new Pharaoh became a little afraid of them. This new Pharaoh did not recognize what God had done in the past and was afraid that this growing number of Israelites would outnumber the Egyptians and overtake them in battle one day. So he had the Israelites enslaved. So he put them in slavery. He forced them to make bricks to expand his empire, and there is a huge possibility that the Israelites helped to build um, many of the pyramids that we now know today. For 400 years, the Israelites served as Egyptian slaves. And even though they were treated very poorly during that time frame, they grew and grew as a number. So when they arrived in Egypt, their number was about 70 in their family, and they grew to about 2 million people in their time there in Egypt. So you see why the Pharaoh might be alarmed by this large number of people. So after years of slavery, the Israelites had lost almost all hope, and they had almost forgotten about their God. But in a moment of desperation, the Israelites cried out to God for help. And God responded, God chose a man, one man named Moses, to go and represent himself before the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, we could not get a picture of Moses, so this was the best that we could do. And I thought, you know, you would probably recognize this guy. So we brought Charlton Heston here this morning to to be Moses for us. So Charlton Heston went and, well, Moses went and talked to Pharaoh on God's behalf And he asked Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to allow a workforce of two million people that have helped me build my empire to leave? You've got to be out of your mind. Absolutely not. They cannot leave. I'm the most powerful man in the known world. I don't know your God. They're not leaving. So Moses continued to ask, please, let Uh, God's people go, and Pharaoh continued to respond and say no. So how do you get the attention of the most powerful leader in the world? God chose to send 10 warnings followed up by what is called in the Bible as a plague. So each warning had a plague attached to it, which is kind of a really bad thing. So this was the pattern found between Exodus chapter 7 and chapter 10. God warned, Pharaoh refused to listen, And then God sent a plague to Egypt. And each of these plagues were designed by God to get Pharaoh to let God's people go free. In the first plague, God warned, Pharaoh refused to listen, and then God caused all the water in Egypt to turn to blood. You imagine how much you would need water for survival. So all the water, the Nile River, all turned to blood. In the second plague, God warned, Pharaoh refused, and God sent millions of frogs to overtake the nation of Egypt. In the third plague, God warned, Pharaoh refused, and all the dust of Egypt turned to gnats. Can you imagine walking through that and trying to breathe? It would be difficult. 
in the fourth plague. God warned, Pharaoh refused, and then God sent swarms of flies to overtake Egypt. I'm sure that's where the first fly swatter came from, right there. (laughs) Somebody made lots of money on that one. In the fifth plague, God killed all the livestock in Egypt. In the sixth plague, God caused all the Egyptians to break out with festering boils. Now, if I were an Egyptian, at that point, I'm going, time out here, Pharaoh. Come on, we got to talk. I mean, just let these people leave. I, I know they helped us build the, your empire here, but let them go. You know, the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the dead animals, and now festering boils. I mean, you got to be kidding me. And Pharaoh said, no way, they're not leaving. The seventh plague involved a hailstorm that left Egypt in ruins. People and animals were killed by the hail. Plants and trees were just destroyed. In the eighth plague, God warned, Pharaoh refused, and God released millions of locusts on the nation of Egypt. The Bible says that not a single leaf on any tree or plant was left in all of Egypt. So imagine, if you think about our county here and all the trees and plants that we have around here, imagine no leaves on any of them anywhere. So at that point, Egypt looked like a wasteland. Egypt looked like a war zone. There wasn't much left. There's no animals, no plants, no crops, just total devastation. Then in the ninth plague, it involved deep darkness that fell over Egypt. It was so dark that the Bible says people didn't move for three days. They couldn't see their hand in front of their face, and they didn't move for three days. And finally, God's last warning. Exodus chapter 11, verse four, records God's warning to Pharaoh. Moses announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest sons of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. So after this warning that God gives to Pharaoh, he turns to Moses and says, Moses, you gotta tell the nation of Israel this, there's only one way to escape this plague. There's only one way to avoid what's about to happen. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn over to Exodus chapter 12 with me. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there should be one of our paperback Bibles around you. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12 in our paperback Bibles that's found on page 52. And we are going to look together at what God told the Israelites. Exodus 12, starting in verse three. God told the Israelites, on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. 
Let's skip down to verse five. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. Let's pause there for just a moment and talk about the significance of a door frame. So a door frame is the wood framing around someone's front door. You probably don't think about your door frame much, um, but if you think about your front door, it's a place to welcome guests into your home. It's a place to close the door and kind of keep bad weather out. It's a boundary marker between Uh, the outside world, and your private life. And if you think about your front door, not just anybody has access to walk in your front door. You know, that's something for family members or maybe really close friends. But typically, not just anybody can come walking through your front door without your permission. So what we typically do when we come to someone's home, a friend of ours or somebody we don't know, we walk up to the house and we knock on the door and we stand there and wait until someone comes to the door and opens the door and either invites us in to their world or we get to talk to to that person that we're looking for there in that moment. So there's a lot of significance for God to say, I want you to paint the blood on the sides and the tops of the door frame of the home that you're living in there. Now look at verse eight with me. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. So in addition to sacrificing a lamb and painting the blood on the sides of the door frame and on the top, they had to roast that lamb and then eat that lamb there with unleavened bread and a bitter salad. Now look at verse 12. On that night, I meaning God, will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt." Now, there was only one place that this blood could be painted, and it was on the doorframe of a home. It couldn't be painted on the backside of a house. It couldn't be painted on the roof. It couldn't be painted in a back bedroom somewhere. It had to be painted on the doorframes. So when God would step up to someone's door, their front door, if he saw the blood there, he would allow that innocent animal that sacrificed its life to pay for that person in that, in that family that would then live. So there would be an exchange that would happen there. God would allow an innocent animal to die so that someone could live and he would pass over that house and he would move on. Now this lamb that was sacrificed became known as the Passover lamb. Verse 29, 
And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night, and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Now, just think for a moment. This did not just involve little children. We're not talking about, you know, little five, six-year-olds or even teenagers. So in all the generations that were alive in Egypt at that moment, every firstborn son. So could be a, a, a man in his 40s, 60s, or a little five-year-old firstborn son. There was not a single family in all of Egypt that didn't have someone die devastating plague that happened there. So after all this devastation and death, Pharaoh finally said, okay, and allowed the Israelites to leave. And the Egyptians, if you can imagine, were so eager to get the Israelites out of here. They're like, just take our stuff, take our belongings, just please leave us alone. Verse 36 says, the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for, so they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Now, let's just try to imagine that moment. So here, we've got the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years, and they're asking their Egyptian um, captors for their stuff, and they get all this gold and wealth. And they are loaded up, and they are walking out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt with the wealth that their slavery helped to build. They didn't have to draw one sword to fight for this wealth. All they had to do was ask, and they got it. So who would get the credit for that? Nobody but God. Only God could pull off a miracle like that. In Exodus 12, verse 14, God said to Israel, this is a day to remember. And I'm sure all the Israelites are, are going, we'll never forget this day. I mean, this is an amazing day. We got all this stuff, and we didn't have to fight a, a battle to get this stuff. And God continued, every year from generation to generation, you must celebrate this day as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. So every year, the nation of Israel would celebrate the Passover by painting blood of a sacrificed lamb on their door frames and then eating a special meal. And even Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples in Luke 22, Jesus, uh, this captures Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And it's the night before Jesus is crucified. And he's about to tell his disciples the true meaning of Easter. Now listen to this, starting in verse seven. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Jump down to verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. 
Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now we're going to pause here for just a moment and celebrate communion together. And then after communion, I'm gonna try to tie all this together. And here at Epic, communion is open to anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if that's you today, whether you call this your church home or not, or you're just here visiting, we invite you to celebrate communion with us. There are four tables around our room here. There are two up front and there are two in the back and each table has uh, the communion elements. You'll see that there's uh, bread representing Jesus' body, which is broken for us. You'll see a, a little cup of juice representing Jesus' blood, which was poured out for us. And if you have a gluten-free allergy, we have crackers there for you to enjoy um, communion. In a moment, I'm going to, to pray. And when I'm finished praying, you are free to get up and move to any one of these tables in the room. And here's what I ask you to do as you come to the table. Come to the table, take a, a piece of bread or cracker, take one of the cups of juice, step to a side for just a moment and just pause and thank God for sending Jesus to die so that you can live. And then there should be some waste baskets there you can drop your cup in and you can go ahead and sit back down and engage a worship song that will be finishing. So let's pray together and then enjoy communion. Lord, what a privilege it is for us to celebrate communion. Lord, it's something that you ask us to do on a periodic basis and to remember the sacrifice that you made for us, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was poured out for us. So today again on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate communion. Thank you, Jesus, to coming. Thank you for coming here to die so that we can live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for celebrating communion with us when Jesus ate the Passover meal, he was revealing to his followers the true meaning of Passover. And his disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand what it meant until after his resurrection. So if you think what the disciples understood about Passover and that meal that they had, had celebrated for many years, on that night when Jesus picked up the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you, the disciples might have thought, no, Jesus, it was the lamb's body that was broken for us. And then when Jesus picked up a cup of wine and said, this represents my blood which is poured out for you, the disciples might have thought, no, Jesus, we've been celebrating this for generations. It was the lamb's blood that was poured out for us. In that moment, Jesus was telling his followers that no longer would an animal be sacrificed. No longer would an animal be sacrificed for them. He was telling them he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. His body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. Not just his disciples in that moment, for all of humanity, Jesus died as our Passover lamb so we can live 
Here's what Jesus did for you and me. He took the sin of the world on his shoulders and he willingly climbed on a cross to die as a sacrifice. When he was sacrificed, long, sharp thorns were pressed into his head. These thorns were wrapped into the shape of a crown and pressed deeply into his head, which would have caused uh, large amounts of blood to flow down his face. Large spikes were driven into his hands, which would have caused more blood to flow. So if you think about a door frame and you think about Jesus' wounds on his head and his hands and the cross that he was crucified on, it fits perfectly over a door frame. There's blood on the top and there's blood symbolically on the side. So symbolically, Jesus was sacrificed as our Passover lamb. And it was God who painted Jesus' blood there. Listen to Romans chapter three, verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. So just like the Israelites had to present a lamb as their sacrifice in that moment, God presented Jesus as our Passover lamb. He himself painted Jesus' blood over the doorframe of our lives and our hearts. Over in John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So just like on that first Passover night, there was only one way to escape the plague of death. Just like that, there's only one way for us to escape our slavery to sin. And that's in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's by opening the door of our heart to Jesus. There's no other way to find freedom. There's no other way to be reconnected with God in a relationship that will last for a lifetime. In Revelation chapter three, Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I believe today Jesus is standing at the door of many hearts. He might be standing at the door of your heart today and I think he's standing there knocking and he's waiting for you to respond on your seat when you came in, should have been a card like this. I ask you to grab that card real quick and just look at it with me. The top box on that card says, today I am opening the door of my heart to Jesus for the first time. I believe Jesus is my Passover lamb. I'm putting my faith and trust in him as my Lord and Savior. Now, Possibly some of you have never done that. You've never opened the door of your heart and put your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And that um, decision is based upon a belief that you have. A belief that Jesus died as your Passover lamb. That's what it means to open the door of your heart to him. And if that applies to you today, I encourage you to check that box I'm actually gonna guide you through a short prayer in just uh, a few moments. But the second box there says, today I'm opening my life to more of Jesus. I've put my faith and trust in him as my savior, but today I'm giving him more control over my life. 
Now, others of you may have possibly opened uh, the door of your life to Jesus and maybe just kind of let him into the, like, the foyer of your house or maybe the living room, but there's a whole lot of house left that you haven't given Jesus permission to come into. And I believe he's standing at another door in your life saying, you know what, I'd like to have permission to come into all the rooms in your life. I don't want to just be your savior for all of eternity, but I want to be your Lord. Uh, Because when God looks at us, he says, you know what, 50% of you is not okay. 80% of you is not okay. 95% of you is not okay. God wants to have all of us, all of our hearts, our, our complete heart to be given over to him. He wants to be Lord over our plans and our dreams, our relationships, our marriage, our kids, our finances, our careers, everything. He wants everything. So if that applies to you, I encourage you to check that box. And the third box says, today I am reopening my life to Jesus. I once opened my heart to him, but I closed the door. Today I'm recommitting my life to him. And there may be someone here today in that spot where you know you opened your heart to Jesus at one point in your life, something bad happened, or you just drifted from God, and you know you found yourself just kind of closing the door on him and just saying, you know, I'll, I'll kind of do it my own way. And Jesus, as the gentleman, is standing at the door of your life, and he's knocking, and he wants to be let back in to be your Lord and Savior. If that box applies to you, I encourage you to check that box. If none of those boxes apply to you, and and possibly you're opening the door of your life to Jesus in a whole new way, I encourage you to flip the card over and write it out on the back of that card. So wherever you are today, whether you're opening the door of your heart to Jesus for the very first time or for a, in a new way, I, I encourage you to open your door. Open that door of your heart to him. Jesus was, the sacri- was our sacrificed Passover lamb so that we can live. Now our worship team is gonna come up in just a moment and I'm gonna wrap us up in prayer and uh, then they're going to guide us out in a closing song. But as I pray, if um, one of those boxes applies to you, I encourage you to check that box. And uh, after the service, I encourage you to take this, fold it up, and slip it into one of our giving boxes. We've got one here and one out in the lobby there. You don't have to write your name on it or anything, but here's what's going to happen to these cards this week. Our elder team is going to get these cards, and our elder team prays together weekly. And we will get together and we will pray for you, card by card, for whatever's going on in your world. We'll pray for you specifically. So I encourage you to do that at the end of the service. Let's close in prayer together. God, I know today, or there could be some people here that have never opened the door of their heart to you for the first time. And God, I pray for them in this moment, Lord, that they would just boldly just fling open the doors of their heart and say, Jesus, will you come in? Be my Lord and Savior. If you're in that spot this morning, I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer that you can pray in your heart to God. Nothing magical about the words. It's the condition of your heart that matters most. You can say this in your heart to God. God, today, on this Easter Sunday, I'm opening the door of my heart to you for the first time. I believe, Jesus, you died as my Passover lamb. Will you come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior? And I will follow you the rest of my days on this earth. And there may be others of you here in that 
in that second spot where you've opened up your life to God, but just a portion. Lord, I pray for those people today that they would open up other doors in their life and say, God, I want you to have complete control, not just in one area, but in all of my life. And Lord, folks here today that might have said, you know what, at one point I had the door open to you, God, but I just shut that door. Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that they would reopen that door and give you complete access to all of their heart and all of their lives. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life as our sacrificed Passover lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for rising again so that we can live. Happy Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.